Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. Uh, this week, as you know, is the uh, beginning of our Advent season. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know what Advent meant, so I looked it up. Do you know that uh, Advent is from the Latin word, which uh, is Adventus, which is the same word uh, in translation as the Greek word perusia, which means coming uh, in English. That's what it means to us. And uh, I didn't know uh, when we started celebrating Advent, so I tried to look that up too, and it turns out that we don't exactly know when Advent began, but uh, it was tied somehow to the fixing of the date of Christmas as December 25th. Now, Christmas is December 25th, first because it replaced a pagan holiday, but secondly because uh, it was thought to be the shortest and the darkest day of the year. And so they thought, what better day to have the celebration of the light that comes into the world than on the darkest and shortest day of the year. And so uh, they, they chose December 25th. And once that day was set, uh, the weeks before uh, Christmas took on added importance and they were the kind of the run-up uh, to Christmas. And so those weeks became the weeks that we celebrate Advent. Well, by the fourth century, uh, there is written evidence that in uh, Spain and in uh, France, what was then known as Gaul, uh, Christmas was being celebrated and Advent was being celebrated before Christmas. And in the 5th and 6th centuries, there's evidence that this uh, Advent season was being celebrated all over Europe. So we've been doing Advent for a long time. And so I said that Advent means coming. Uh, but it doesn't mean just his first coming. It's a celebration of his second coming as well. His first coming and his second coming are what we are celebrating here. And so uh, what we are doing uh, now is, is we are kind of at a point in time between his first coming and when he's going to come his second time. And so uh, that's what we're going to be talking about these four weeks as we celebrate uh, this season of Advent. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate this week the first theme of Advent, which is hope. And we're going to celebrate it by, by talking about hope, the promise of the coming king. Uh, and that's what, what, what we're celebrating because we're, we're, we're anticipating with great hope that he's coming again. When I say the word hope, uh, I want you to know what I mean by hope. Hope is from the Greek word elpis which does not mean uh, a hope with no expectation at all, a hope that you, that you really wish something is going to come true, but you have no expectation that it will, like how you might feel if you bought a lottery ticket, for example, right? I mean, you'd love to win the millions, but you're probably not going to, right? That's not the kind of hope that we're talking about when we're talking about biblical hope. Uh, Elpis, this hope, is, is hope in something sure. Uh, we expect the sun to come up tomorrow. Why? Because since the beginning of time, it has come up every single day uh, since then. And so we, we confidently expect that the sun is going to come up tomorrow because it always has. And we just have to wait for it. And very often in the Bible, when we talk about hope, hope is used almost interchangeably with a belief that God is going to fulfill his promises. So when we say hope, oftentimes we're saying, God, I know you are going to fulfill your promises. And, and, and so that's what we have to do. We just have to wait for it. And, and so we, when we think about this hope, we ask ourselves the question, what is this hope? Well, the hope that we have is the hope that Jesus is going to come a second time. Uh, he's going to come just as he promised. And, and why should we have this hope? Because 
everything that Jesus said about his first coming happened exactly as the Bible predicted that, he, that it would. And so we have confident expectation that he's going to come the second time exactly like the Bible says he would. So we're going to talk about this in a couple of different ways. The first way is we're going to talk about the foundation of our hope. And the foundation of our hope is fulfilled prophecy. Lots of prophecy about Jesus has already been fulfilled. You all ever heard the term Monday morning quarterbacking? I'm sure you have. Uh, Monday morning quarterbacking is, is simply looking back on the decisions uh, that were made yesterday with the knowledge that you have today. Uh, every Monday morning after the Cowboys lose, uh, you fans will, will go back and Monday morning quarterback what they did wrong while us Giant fans rejoice. Uh, but that's what you guys will do, you Monday morning quarterback. I have no right to talk. The Giants have nine losses. We've been doing a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking this year. Uh, but that's what you do, Monday morning quarterbacking. And so uh, sometimes when we Monday morning quarterback, we're being unfair to the people because we're charging them with knowledge that we have today that they didn't have yesterday. So when we think about this Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, is it fair uh, to look back on the knowledge that the first century Jews had and say about them, to Monday morning quarterback them and say, you all should have had enough knowledge from your Old Testament to know that this was the coming Messiah. So did they have enough information? And so that's what we'll talk about this morning. There are so many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that have already been fulfilled that it's very difficult to choose just a few uh, and, and talk about how Jesus fulfilled them. Uh, and so what I, wanted, what I want to do this morning is show uh, that he came and he lived and he was rejected and he died and he rose again, all in fulfillment of the scriptures. And so when he came, they should have recognized him. And for us, in retrospect, it's so easy to see that Jesus was the hope of the world. And so uh, let's, let's just take a few examples. He came as predicted, first of all. You know that God ordained that it was necessary that blood be spilled for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, before the fall, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, uh, they were naked and they were unashamed in chapter 2. But after the fall, uh, when they, had, they knew that they had sinned, then they realized that they were naked. They hadn't known that before or hadn't recognized it, uh, and they were ashamed. And so what does God do? He provides a covering for them from animal skins. So something had to die uh, to forgive sins and to cover uh, them, cover their nakedness. And, and after the fall, when God pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve and on Satan, this is what he said in Genesis 3.15. He said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall crush your head, and you shall strike his heel. This is Genesis chapter 3. This is very early in the Bible, but this is the first promise of a coming Savior. Uh, and it's the first time after the fall that Adam and Eve can have hope because at some point in the future, a Savior is going to come. Satan would bruise Jesus. Satan would strike Jesus' heel at the crucifixion. But ultimately, when Jesus rises from the dead, he will crush Satan's head because death sin and Satan are all defeated by the resurrection. And so uh, that's the hope that they would have. Jesus was the hope of Israel. Uh, Passover, the entire sacrificial system, the Day of Atonement, all of these things that God gave to the Israelites pointed forward to Jesus. Uh, and so 
they were established so that uh, they could have a blood sacrifice that would atone for their own sins. And so when Jesus came, he paid for those sins once and for all. And that's why Hebrews chapter 10 says that the law was given only as a shadow of the things to come until Jesus came. And it also says that it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats uh, to atone for sin. And so that's why Jesus had to come once and for all to offer himself. And when he offered himself once and for all, he sat down next to his father, at the right hand of his father. Why did he sit down? Because the work was done. He offered himself once and for all. And so that's what Jesus came to do. He, he came to do that and he sat because his work was finished. But how would they recognize him? How would they recognize Jesus when he came? Well, there are a lot of things that are said in the Old Testament about what the Messiah would do uh, when he came. Uh, Moses, when he was near death, uh, he wrote in Deuteronomy 18.15, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Now, you may remember in John chapter 7, when John is speaking to all the crowds, the people are amazed and they're divided about these things that Jesus is saying. And some of them are saying that, that he is actually from Satan. But others said, this is the prophet, the prophet that Moses was talking about here in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18. Because the first century Jews were expecting their Messiah to come. They expected him to come, uh, but sadly, most of them did not recognize him when they came, when he came. Here's what Isaiah had to say about the coming of uh, Messiah. Uh, he said uh, in 714, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. And when the angel came to Gabriel, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1, uh, she, he told her that she was going to bear a son, and, and, and she says, I'm a virgin, how can that be? And, and the Gabriel explained to her how this could be. And just imagine Mary's wonder as she thinks about how Isaiah chapter 7, written 650 years earlier, was going to be fulfilled through her. And imagine what a boost that was to her faith and imagine the hope that she would have as a result of that. Well, what about where he would be born? Micah 5.2 tells us, But you, O Bethlehem, uh, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Can you imagine Mary's wonder when uh, she's married to Joseph and then all of a sudden Caesar orders a survey, uh, a census to be taken of the entire population and because Joseph was from Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph have to go back to Bethlehem, coincidentally, while Mary is about a couple of days away from giving birth, right? Can you imagine her wonder as she thinks about how God is so providential and sovereign in how he's going to fulfill these prophecies that had been made uh, hundreds of years earlier? Uh, what a boost, what a boost to her faith. And so uh, he came just as predicted. He came as predicted and he lived as predicted. Uh, this verse, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Jesus did a lot of healing in his lifetime, right? And I don't have time to talk about every healing, but you know that he did tons of healing. And then Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit 
of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Do you remember when John the Baptist found himself in prison and he couldn't figure out what he's doing there? And he says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send some messengers to Jesus and I'm going to ask him, are you the expected one or should we be looking for another one? And so the messengers go and they take this trip and they ask Jesus that question. And what does Jesus do? He virtually quotes from these two verses uh, when he says in uh, Luke 7:22, you go tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is telling the messengers that, look, I'm doing the exact things that the Old Testament said Messiah will do. I am the Messiah. Don't let this be a stumbling block to you. By applying these Old Testament passages about the Messiah to himself, uh, Jesus affirmed to John that he is the expected one. And you remember in Luke chapter 4, when he reads from the scroll, he reads from Isaiah 61.1, proclaiming good news to the captives. And then he sat down and he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. And so he's saying the things that a Messiah is supposed to say. And he's doing the things that a Messiah is supposed to do. And he's proving it all with the works and the healings that he did. So he came as predicted. He lived as predicted. He was rejected as predicted. David said in Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone. And this prophecy of Isaiah chapter 6, talking about Jesus in the future, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So you have these predictions of Jesus' rejection in the Old Testament, but then Jesus himself predicted his own rejection. Matthew chapter 20, he says to his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. You see, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him when he got to Jerusalem. And yet he went forward because he had to fulfill what was written about him in the Old Testament. And so uh, that's what he did. He came to his own, John chapter 1, and his own did not receive him. Rejected, just as the Bible predicted. He came as predicted, lived as predicted, was rejected as predicted. He died as predicted, Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Re remember, Isaiah's prophecy is written 650 years before Jesus was killed. And his, uh, the, the crucifixion here is pictured with incredible, staggering accuracy and detail. And, and just so you know, the first recorded uh, 
event of a, of a crucifixion wasn't until 519 BC. That's 140, 130 years after Isaiah prophesied. So Isaiah is writing about uh, a method of torture and execution that was not known at the time. And he's talking about uh, how he's going to die. And Zechariah follows it up. He says, I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And Psalm 22 says that they would pierce his hands and feet and they would cast lots for his clothing, written a thousand years before Jesus' death. And when we read the account of his crucifixion in the Gospels, we see these prophecies fulfilled exactly as the Bible says they would be. So he came as predicted, lived as predicted, was rejected as predicted, died just as predicted, and he rose again just as predicted in the Bible. Psalm 16, 9 and 10. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Again, a messianic psalm written about Jesus a thousand years before Jesus lived about uh, the resurrection. And, and whether David knew exactly what he was writing is certainly subject to debate. But Peter understood what David was writing. He applied uh, Psalm 16 specifically on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Here's what Peter said. He said, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. That's from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Jesus has raised this Jesus to, uh, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Uh, another staggering prophecy that we see fulfilled. So Jesus came, he lived, he was rejected, he died, and he rose again, all as exactly predicted in the Bible. And so that's why we have such hope about the future promises that are, have been predicted about Jesus' second coming. And so when we think about his second coming, I think about the firmness of our future hope. And that's not yet fulfilled prophecy. There is already fulfilled prophecy, and there is not yet fulfilled prophecy in the Bible. Jesus made a whole lot of predictions about himself that came true, and he made a whole lot of predictions about himself that we are still waiting for to come true. And for many Jews in the first century, uh, the evidence that they saw was not enough for them to believe that he was the promised Messiah. And that persists even to this day. But for Christians, the evidence is more than ample. We've seen more than enough evidence to know uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, both from how he has fulfilled prophecy and because we see how he works in our own life. And so if we believe the evidence that we know, we certainly believe that he's going to come a second time. So let's think about it this way. Uh, if you came from a strong family with good parents, uh, if they promised you something, uh, more than likely you believed that they would give you whatever it was that they promised. And that's because they had spent time with you and they had uh, established a track record with you that their promises could be trusted. If you're going to invest money, 
you probably don't take that money and, and throw it into penny stocks that are here today and gone tomorrow. You probably invest it in some kind of blue chip company that has been around for 100, 200 years because you know that they have established a track record that they're going to be here uh, down the road. And so if you are willing to trust fallen sinful parents or you're willing to trust a volatile and unpredictable stock market, uh, Jesus' promises are surer than anything that we have uh, on this earth. And so let's think about what Jesus has said about his second coming. This is my favorite passage on it. When Jesus spoke to his disciples in the upper room, he said these very tender and comforting words to disciples who were terrified and confused that he was going to be leaving them. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise that Jesus is going to raise us from the dead. And when he does, he's already got a place uh, for us established in the heavens, a room for us that, that uh, is just waiting for us to get there. How about Paul? What does Paul say about Jesus' second coming? This is probably the most classic passage in the Bible uh, on Jesus' resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 16 through 18. He says, If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Jesus, we are of all people most to be pitied but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So that's about Jesus' resurrection, but what about our resurrection? Later in the book, verses 50, uh, in the chapter, verses 51 to 55, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Brothers and sisters, these promises are ours. This is so exciting to me. This should cause us to tremble with hope and excitement and anticipation of what God has planned for us. The Bible says, what eye has not seen, uh, nor ear has not heard, uh, what the mind has not conceived, these are the things that God has planned for those who love him. And so I just find these promises to be staggering. And so as we come circling all the way back around to our passage in Romans uh, that Laura read from us today, for us today, now we know what hope is. It's certain assurance. It's, it's believing in what we know is going to happen. And we know why we should have this hope, because the Bible has been 100% accurate about Jesus' first coming. We know it's going to be 100% accurate about his second coming. But what is the content of our hope? And who ought to have this hope? Remember that, that Paul is writing to believers in Rome, and he's saying, you have hope. He, and, and he starts off this passage with... Um, therefore having been justified by faith. And so he's writing to people and assuming that they're already saved because he's saying you have been justified uh, by this faith. And since we're justified, we have peace with God. 
the hostility that exists between a holy God and sinful human creatures has been removed by the work that Jesus did on the cross when we place our faith in him. And not only that, uh, that faith that we have gives us access to God the Father. It's like Jesus has built a bridge out of himself. And, and when we believe in him, we get invited to walk across that bridge and have access to the Father. And as believers, we get that. We get to share in God's glory and we get to be heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. We get all of this, Romans 8.17 tells us. So a staggering promises that we get. And because we know this is true, we exult in the, in the hope and the knowledge that we will see God's glory. And so that's what that means. We exult in the, in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to get to stand in God's presence and we're going to see God's glory. Uh, if that doesn't knock your socks off, I don't know what does. That's incredible that we're going to stand there and see and behold God's glory. So that's the content of our hope, and only believers can have that hope. Well, verse, verses 3 and 4 seem like a little bit of a regression, because now we're talking about trials and tribulations, and, and we can get down and discouraged by trials and tribulations, right? None of us want to undergo trials and tribulations. Uh, they wreck our lives for a period of time, right? It, it, it's hard to undergo these things. Uh, but yet we're not defeated by these earthly trials because of this hope. Hope is the result of them. Our hope is strengthened by trials because through them we see God's hand working over and over again. And we're strengthened by, the, by his, his uh, faithful work in our lives. And, and so verse 5 says that we will never experience the disappointment that we are going to experience with our, in our earthly relationships when we're talking about uh, our dealings with God. Uh, your spouse may disappoint you. Uh, think about Matt Lauer's spouse this week. Do you think that she's disappointed in her spouse this week as we read current events? Uh, and this is going on uh, around our country. And so our spouses may disappoint us. Our kids may disappoint us. Our parents may disappoint us. Our friends may disappoint us. But God ultimately Though you may be disappointed for, for a period of time when you think that he's not answering your prayers, ultimately, he's never going to disappoint you because this hope that we have is the hope of heaven, the hope that we will see his glory. And we know his love because he has given us the Holy Spirit, planted it within us, and he pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's the hope that's been promised. It's not a blind hope like the world thinks about our faith. It's just blind faith, faith in nothing. It's, it's not that at all. Uh, it's hope in something. Uh, and, and what it's hope in is our eternity with God. And it's hope because of something. Because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, we have this peace with God when we believe in him. And it's given by a God who cannot lie. And so these promises cannot fail. And so the foundation of our hope should be so strong and that's what the meaning of Christmas is. God sent his son as a helpless babe to live the life that we could not live, die the death that we deserve to die uh, so that we could have eternal life with him. He promised us this life eternally because of his great love for us. And so we stand between the cross and the second coming and we're waiting for something that is as sure to happen as the sun is as sure to come up tomorrow. And whether we die before he comes again or whether he comes before, he die, before we die, it really doesn't make any difference at all, does it? Ultimately, the end result is we will spend eternity with him.
So, with all of this good news, how should we respond? What ought we to do? Here's the first application. Don't mope, seize hope. We can get down, right? Sometimes life is hard and we can get down and, and our, our temporal day-to-day -day lives can be very difficult sometimes. Some guy at work is a pain in my neck or, or something is happening over here that's a, that's a big problem and I don't know how I'm gonna deal with this situation, but you know, this is a temporal problem and it's going to pass, right? This problem, whatever it is, is going to pass. And even if it lasts until the last day of your life, it's still just a blip on the screen of eternity, and you're going to spend your eternity with Jesus. So God's promises can be trusted. He will never fail you. And if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, you have eternity with him. And so all we have reason to do is to hope and not be despondent over the things that happen in this life. And secondly, just bask in the knowledge of God's love. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He did not have to do that. He could have left us all condemned for the sins that we committed. But God's eternal plan since before the world began was for Jesus to come and to save us from our sins if we will simply believe in him. He became a man. He suffered. He died a shameful death so that we might have eternal life. Did Jesus get anything out of that deal? What do you think? I think he did. I think he got us. I think he got us out of the deal. That's not much, right? When I know my sinful heart, and if you examine your sin sinful hearts, maybe that's not much, but he got something. That's why uh, uh, Hebrew says, for the joy set before him, uh, he suffered the scorn and the shame of the cross. Uh, I don't think I'm worth dying for, but Jesus thought I was worth dying for, and I think that's incredible. That is the love of God, and that is why we are celebrating at Christmas. So why should we have this hope? Because all of the Bible's promises so far have come true. We can trust that the next promises are going to come just as God promised. So let me ask you two questions in closing. Do you have hope that the promised king will come again just as he said? I pray that you do, because he's coming. He's coming. And the people who don't believe, they're going to find themselves disappointed that it's too late for them. But for us who have hope, uh, it's going to be a glorious, glorious day. And secondly, do you live in a way that reflects our hope and assurance to others that the promised king will come again, just as he said? I pray that you do, because there is a lost and hurting world out there uh, people who need to know the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if they're going to see it in anybody, they need to see it in us. And so as we go from here and as we celebrate this holiday season, let's just project this hope that we have and let's just be smiling, happy, eager, excited because we know that Christ is coming again. And if we know that and the world sees it in us, somebody might just ask you, what is this hope that you have? And won't that be a blessed thing? Uh, so... I just thank God for what he's done uh, with, with uh, sending his son. And I'm just going to go to him in prayer right now and, and thank him and ask that uh, he would bless us uh, as we in enter into this Advent season. Lord God, we do thank you. Lord, you have, you have just amazingly prophesied what would happen to Jesus hundreds of years before it happened. And because it happened just like you said it would, we can have great hope that 
what you said about his second coming will happen just as, as you said as well. And Lord, uh, we are about to move to a new location and we are going to encounter people there who do not have the hope that we have. And Lord, it is my earnest prayer that you would put people in our path who will see the hope that we have and will ask us about the hope we have or we can speak to them about the hope we have. And Lord, that we would, we would change that neighborhood and that town uh, for the better as we help people to know the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, Lord. We pray that you grant us many opportunities. And Lord, we thank you for sending your son. Uh, Lord, what a staggering thing that you would send a helpless babe uh, to live a perfect life and die a shameful death for us. We thank you for all that he did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.